Is it hard for you to believe it's August? Wow, I don't even know what to say. The year is speeding by and life will never be the same again. I hope you're well and I hope whatever you are up to that you find a few life strategies in these podcasts for you to take back to your life so that you can live every day at work, love, and play with all of you. So have fun. Enjoy this conversation. This interview with Rachel Braunschurl was especially fun because let's just face it. How many times do you get to interview someone who wrote a book called Orgasmic Leadership? You're going to have to listen to hear more about what inspires Rachel. Some of the most important relationships and skills um, that I have really focused on how do you reach your consumer? How do you communicate with him or her? What do you offer? How do you price? All the many different cross-functional areas. Um, and I went from that to uh, over time creating my own consulting boutique with my business partner, Mary Yench, and we're really focused on generating top line growth. And very much from a pragmatic perspective, you know, I consider myself a business builder and a marketing strategist, but it's always around how do you drive a transaction? How do you get someone to buy the product or service that yeah. you're selling? Um, the, female health piece, the female health piece sort of evolved. I spent many, many years working on women's businesses from the tops of their heads to the tips of their toes. So you name it, hair care, skin care, oral care, psoriasis, foot fungus, hemorrhoids, fertility, menstruation. And then about um, 12 years ago, uh, a venture capitalist handed me a business plan for a product that improved arousal, desire, and satisfaction for women. And a vagipreneur was born. And we really took advantage of this opportunity to be in a space where there hadn't been a lot of conversation. There weren't many opportunities for people to speak about their sexual enjoyment or satisfaction or concerns. And at the point we got into the space, if you were to do a search, you'd wind up in two extremes, you know, porn or, you know, some serious medical disease like your genitals are falling off. And so it really was an opportunity as someone who focuses on marketing to be in an, an industry that where you could start to create a conversation and a common language. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you caught my attention early on when you when you said you started out as a really good capitalist. You know, there I've done coaching for executive women for a number of years, and a lot of us end up in a in an industry that we care about, something that we'd like to see change in the world. But a lot of us need help to think like a capitalist. Can you tell me how you've helped your clients along um, to really run their business like a boss? Sure. So one of the things that happens immediately when you get into any part of female sexual or reproductive health, which is really the, the sort of the playground that I'm in from menstruation to menopause, is you do become very passionate about it. It is hard to be in women's health at that level and not feel strongly and passionately about a lot of the issues. So many of the companies that I work with um, have a, a founder has identified a problem, they don't see a great solution, they look around, don't see it, create a solution, and then say there's a business around it. And one of the challenges in women's health is oftentimes people say, well, the solution has to be a nonprofit. And my feeling is, you know, money is power, 
um, money talks. And if you really want to impact something, what better way than to build a successful business and then figure out how and if and in what form you want to give back or support or create other aspects um, of social importance in the world. And for the most part, the companies that I work with, each one of them has a cause, a focus, a mission, a percentage of their their earnings that go towards something they care about. Yeah. So if you look at the direct-to-consumer uh, business models where people are selling menstrual protection, those businesses in many different ways, they provide free products to people who don't have them, they invest in factories, they all have that component. When I got into it, I saw the opportunity, the product that we were first introduced to or introduced to the category really deeply with was a product called Zestra, which was a patented blend of botanical oils and extracts that's clinically proven to increase arousal, desire, and satisfaction. And at the time of our introduction, you know, we were learning 43% of women have sexual concerns and difficulties. There had been dozens of active clinical programs that were down to zero. Women weren't mm -hmm. talking with their partners or their physicians or um, anybody about this, and there was really no language. So from a business perspective, it seemed like a perfect storm. You had a huge need, not great solutions. And in, in marketing and business building, at least in my experience, you're always looking for an emotionally engaging category. And there are a few things that are more emotionally engaging than women's sexuality. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's not something that a lot of us will talk about in a general audience. And yet the reality exists, especially after having a few kids, things change. Right. What do you what do you say is the number one issue that women are coming up with in that area? Well, it really does depend by what stage of life you're in. You know, so a lot of the conversation in the space is about reproduction, fertility, and that's amazing. Um, so there are a lot more options, but they tend to be for a very, you know, um, financially uh, comfortable population. I would say the most important thing that's happening in the space, and now there are dozens and dozens of people like me and hundreds of companies and many, many funds and creative sources of capital focused on um, not only female health, but diverse founders, is we're now looking at women as, as total people, as opposed to you're menstruating, you need sanitary protection. You're trying to get pregnant, you need X, Y, Z. You're trying not to get pregnant, you need these things. And we're really looking at her over the course of her life. One of the best examples that I think shows the, the transition or the development in the space is historically the businesses around incontinence you know, were managed by huge um, consumer products manufacturers. It was about you know, pads and, and diapers and, and other solutions. And the conversation really was about how many leaks did you have? What's now happened in the past many years as new companies are coming out with devices, whether they're electric stimulation or um, non-hormonal solutions, we're talking about her much more broadly. So not just we're reducing the number of leaks you have, but you know what happens when you reduce the number of leaks? You maybe feel better about yourself and you might be able to engage more comfortably in intimacy. So it's not just about are you incontinent? Do you leak when you sneeze or jump or after you've had a baby or when you're entering menopause? But what does managing those symptoms, what impact does that have on the rest of your life? So there's right. a much more holistic approach to looking at 
women, not just as purchasers of a particular product during a particular life stage. I love that. You know, it's why the word 360 is in the title of my business. So I want to look at the whole person. And when we try to separate out those different factors, we don't get a complete picture. Um, Absolutely. And that's a really common theme in women's health and what a lot of the conversation now with entrepreneurs and um, academics and healthcare practitioners is around really the intersection of how all these different factors are at play, how bone health affects general health, how sexual health affects mental health. And when we break people down into individual pieces, we sort of miss the sum of the parts. Right, exactly. I hear you. Well, you know, nothing makes it hit home more than when it hits home. I, you're a, a woman, I'm not going to try to guess in age, but we're probably close in age. Tell me about your, um, your personal experience trying to cultivate a whole life for yourself. What, is, what does it look like? What, what are the strategies would you share? Well, I, what I would say is there are phases and my strategies are different at every phase. So now I have adult children who are living with me in quarantine. That's entirely different than managing the emotional and physical challenges of trying to be um, an, an available, involved, emotionally engaged mom when they're in school and all these other things. So I feel like I'm sort of at the other end of it now and the balance is a whole lot easier. Add to that, that now I can't travel. I've spent most of my business career traveling. So just the basic logistics of my life yeah. are much simpler. But um, in the throes of it, uh, I was, you know, very guilty of, you know, being wrapped with guilt and always trying to figure out how to be in two places at once. And what I came to is this idea is there's no such thing as work-life balance. I use this expression that I was always trying to keep the wheels on the wagon and some days I couldn't even find the wagon. Right. So it was really about trying to do what I was doing as well as I could be doing it in that moment. And, right. you know, I did beat myself up. I tried to get better at it, but you couldn't always be uh, the best at work and you can't always be the best at home and, and then expand your life to all the other things you have potentially a spouse and you have other people in your life and your who are counting on you and your community. Um, I think that when my kids, uh, my youngest left for college, I think I exhaled. I didn't realize I was holding my breath for, right. you know, about 18 years. And so what I would say is that there really are peaks and valleys. And as much as you can give yourself a break, that it won't always feel great and it won't always look great and it won't always sound great but you have another chance the next day to try again. Yeah. And you have to have an amazing support system, whether it's, you know, your spouse or your family or your community or childcare. It is literally, in my experience, impossible to, to be a one-man band. Exactly. A one-woman band. You're right, right. Um, and it's ridiculous to even think that we can. And yet there are many women who are trying to do it on their own. And I think they deserve an extra measure of grace on all counts. Tell me a little bit. About I, I don't know how people do it, and it's exhausting. Yeah. Um, and again, with the perspective of distance and now having grown children. Yeah. You know, when I think of what moms are going through and parents are going through during COVID, with now in addition to you're working, you're doing every other responsibility that you have, and now you're a teacher on top of everything else, you know, I hats off to the people who are making that work. Yeah. 
I know I, I'm living in the midst of that, trying to help some small businesses where um, they have young kids. Um, I'm grateful that this didn't happen to me with young kids. My, even my youngest is more motivated to do her schoolwork than I could even try and, and help her. But it's a, it's a real challenge for people who have kids who need a lot of direction. Um, and, you know, it, it breaks my heart in one sense because I don't know how in the world they're going to do it. I don't know how they can keep both of those things up in the air. Yet, there's a part of me that says that the, the slowdown that's happened since the quarantine started um, has really helped our family grow closer. What's it been like for you having your adult kids home? I love it. I'm not sure they would always say the same, but like what an opportunity and what a gift to be able to have this much interaction with yeah. them. One of them is living independently and has started her career. The other one had, was living away and going to school. It's, it's really a gift. If I were to say what is the true benefit to me um, of quarantine, it's this unexpected time yeah. together. And, you know, in all fairness, made easier because I'm not in charge of homeschooling. You know, I think that would add a layer of, of tension. And, you know, my concerns really, my husband and I both have, you know, moms who require care. You know, that's a cause for great concern. Um, so it's really the ability to manage all of those things. And the second favorite thing about um, quarantine for me uh, personally has been that I can't travel. You know, it was always just such a given in what I did. And I'm not saying that sometimes it doesn't get a little dull staring at the same four walls, right. but just the sheer amount of time that I have to devote to the logistics of managing my life are dramatically reduced. Right, right. And it's really no excuse for um, not having the balance that we know that we need. And we... Well, it feels much easier now, but I think that I might just be in, an, um, um, in a special situation that I have you know, a lot of independently highly functioning people around me. Right, right. Me too. Our biggest problem was really that we had five adult-sized people who um, needed Wi-Fi <laughs> for for meetings like this on Zoom, and uh, that was the hardest. No, it's a real. It was if that was really a, a big challenge where someone would be frantic because they're having an important meeting, and then the screen would just go blank because uh -huh. most people's homes are not set up to have the capacity to support, you know, sure. that many working people. We call those first world problems. So. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Nice. Well, I love that you um, are joining me in that in enjoyment of having the kids slow down. We did actually send our second daughter back to school last week. And um, she's really happy to be back on campus. <laughs> Um, it's just a, it's a constant shifting, different changes, but um, I think that's part of the goal with overall taking care of your whole life in leadership, um, seeing the big picture, understanding that there's ebb and flow and you can't hang on to it. You got to be present with what you have right now. So you know that the, the name of the um, podcast is Women, Wine, and Leadership. So um, we got a segue to the, the end of the day when you're opening your favorite bottle of wine. Share with us a favorite label that we can put on the uh, Okay, house. so truth be told, as much as I've tried to enjoy wine and I lived in Northern California and took 
boatloads of people to wine country, I have never been a drinker. So at the end of the day, um, my favorite drink to have is a Stewart's Diet Root Beer. <laughs> I think I have had Stewart's. Um, my, my kids really love root beer. Okay, Stewart's Diet Root Beer. That's your, your passion at the end of the day. And trust me, I have tried. I've tried. And my husband loves wine. My family members love wine. I would like nothing more than to be able to relax with a glass of wine. And anyone who lives with me or near me knows that I could do something to take the edge off, but you probably haven't need. found it yet. <laughs> well, you have my permission to have your Stewart's Diet Root Beer in a wine glass while your husband is drinking wine. It works. You know, I, it's so funny because sometimes when I open it, if it's during the day, it actually looks like beer. Yeah. So I became conscious that every call is a Zoom call. I can't be drinking it because it looks like I'm drinking on the job. And then I occasionally <laughs> turn it around and say, no, really, it's soda. But now I just use a fancy glass and call it a day. <laughs> there you go. No explanations required. What's well, your favorite wine? Oh, gosh. I'm a big fan of Petite Syrah. And um, there are a number of them that I love. And um, it's really hard for me to just narrow down on one. Um, I'd like to say, in general, as a genre, I find that French wines um, love my system better than American uh -huh. wines. And I don't want the American wine industry to get mad at me, but I just, I okay. sleep better and I process those French wines better. Um, it's just harder to get a hold of them. They're a lot more expensive when they have to be imported. So. Um, and, and the idea of what you said at the end of the day, there's, what I do love is the ritual of having some sort of signal that your day, your, the pace of your day is changing at some point. Right, right. I remember learning that um, I really did have to be thoughtful about when that happens. Because if I have that glass <laughs> of wine too early, then I'm done. <laughs> so got to, yeah, got to really be intentional about the whole thing. <laughs> Well, you have me on pins and needles. I want to get a hold of your book. It sounds like so much fun. Um, I hope a lot of women will look you up and, and investigate what you can do to help their business. Because because uh, um, 360 Live Strategies does women's wine retreats that focus on health, uh, we just attract a lot of people who want their whole life to be better. So um, how should they contact you if they want to learn more about the business that you have to offer? So there's a, a couple of different places. And, and I think if you uh, Google, you'll only see me, Orgasmic Leadership, the name of my book, um, Vagrepreneur, which is a person in the business of female sexual health. Um, you can look up my name, Rachel braun Sherl, my business, where I focus on helping companies drive revenue growth at Spark Solutions for Growth, all my social is either under R.B. Sherl or Rachel Braun Sherl. I love hearing from people. And if, and if you reach out to me after listening to this podcast, I would love to know how we first connected um, so I can put it in context. But I'm given that I work so much, um, that I've always been a, a women in business, that I work a lot with female entrepreneurs and especially um, folks in the space of sexual and reproductive health, the majority of whom are women, I'm really, really passionate about paying it forward. And one of the things that I love about being in this space is I've worked in many, many other categories. And for whatever reason, the people who are attracted to female sexual and reproductive health are very, very collaborative. 
and helpful and willing to share. And so I love being part of that and adding to that community because I would love it if I could save someone time from making the same mistakes I made. Maybe they'll make different ones, but at least they will avoid some of the same pitfalls that I, that I ran into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the reason why we use the gifts that we have. So you could cut short somebody else's path. So I hope that happens. And I hope they will um, let you know that they heard about you on Women, One and Leadership so that we can share the celebration. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I love what you're doing and keep it going. I think it's an important uh, conversation for women to be having. Fantastic. Thanks. Wow, I hope you had as much fun as I did with that conversation. If you are looking for more information on the wine we talked about or the wine we talk about anytime on this podcast, check out my wine palace on Pinterest. Just search 360 Life Strategies. Same on Facebook, lots of strategies for you to live your whole life. And do me a favor, if you enjoyed this, would you actually subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you're listening to. That way I know whether we're doing the right thing. Share it with a friend too. I hope you come back next time.